Thank you, Brother Jim. All right, so let's go over one slide there, and does anybody know what we are looking at here? What is that? The Washington Monument, and that is a pretty cool shadow there, isn't it? It casts this huge shadow, and if you've ever been there, you'll, you'll see that shadow, and it is pretty neat. It is actually the tallest stone structure, predominantly stone structure, in the world, measuring around 555 feet. It's made of mostly marble, granite, limestone, and, stand, and sandstone. However, as, as cool as this monument is and as cool as that shadow is, I don't think many of us would go to see that monument and put our back up against the monument and just be like, wow, look at that shadow. You know, isn't that the greatest shadow you've ever seen? And then we just completely ignore the monument, right? We would be like, that, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't drive all the way to Washington, D.C. to go look at the shadow of the monument. It's a cool part, but it's only cool because the monument's pretty cool, right? And so, yet that's what many people do today. A lot of people look at the shadows instead of the Savior. Uh, they, they, they take all this time, and they're looking at all these shadows or the results or maybe even the foreshadowings of the Savior, and they miss what's superior because of the inferior. So join me as we read Colossians 2, 16 through 23, and we dig into the Word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or in regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how great that you are. Thank you that you don't just leave us hanging, that you give us your scripture, your word to, to obey and to follow, God. Uh, Lord, I know we all have one hour less sleep today, and that can sometimes make it difficult to focus. So I just pray that you help us to have a supernatural ability to focus, all of us here, that you cast off all the worries, the anxieties, things that we're worried about, what we're doing later today, all those things. May they, may they fall away. May we not see the shadows, but may we, may we see the Savior, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three ways that the, the Savior surpasses everything else. And the first one is the Savior surpasses the shadow. The Savior surpasses the shadow. Colossians 2.16 again, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. So what are people casting judgments on this Colossian church today that we're, that we're seeing? What kind of judgments are they casting? They're, they're saying that they need to be celebrating religious rituals, festivals, in order to be considered right with God, right? So there, we definitely see a flavor of the Judaizers, as we talked about before. Uh, these, these Jews that want to bring all of the law and make people do exactly what 
the law said. Uh, They want to keep pointing back to works-based righteousness. They keep trying to say, hey, you know, these laws, they they weren't completely fulfilled in Christ. We got to keep doing this and this and this and this sacrifice and this sacrifice. They keep adding to what God has already said. He has fulfilled those parts of the law. This is a direct attack on Christian liberty. And and if you don't know what Christian liberty is, it's that we have freedom in Christ, uh, that we have freedom to have a relationship with Christ without all of the religious things uh, that are there. Christ has fulfilled all the sacrificial parts of the law, all the cleanliness parts of the law. Now, the other parts of the law, they are still there. Christ said that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So we still do follow those rules and regulations. But the sacrificial laws that we had to kind of, you know, do all these different sacrifices in order to be right with God, that works-based mentality, it's, it's gone. Christ paid the price. So churches, they kind of will go off the rails in a couple different ways when we're looking at works-based righteousness. And, and the first one that we see, this extreme view of experientialism and mysticism. And, and, and so your experience triumphs over the exposition of God's Word. So you need to have this supernatural experience with God. He's going to speak to you in this incredible way that is external to Scripture. And if you don't get spoken to in that way, then you're not really holy. You're not really saved. You're not really this because there has to be this added bonus, this, this next you know, level up. You, know, you need to level up in order to be a believer. And we see that because it's not Instead of the word of God mattering to those churches, it's, it's the experience, it's, it's their emotions and their quote-unquote spiritual revelations. But then we have the other extreme here that goes into legalism and traditionalism. And instead of like the experience and, and this kind of a supernatural uh, worship of, of experience, it's instead an unwritten list of do's and don'ts. If you, if you, in order to be a believer, you have to do this and you can't do these things. And sadly, those things oftentimes aren't found in here. And so obviously we have a list of do's and don'ts, and it's given to us in Scripture. But in certain churches, there's another list. You know, you can only use this version of Scripture or you're not a believer. You can only go to this place or you're not a believer. You can only, so there's all these extra things that are added. And it can go into, kind of go off the rails that way. Now, obviously, today we're going to be under the microscope of many churches. There's a lot of churches with differing views, uh, differing things with Scripture. And obviously, we can't keep people from having false judgments on us either, right? So these Colossians were having people that had all these false judgments on them. They were saying, you're not doing this, and you need to be doing this, and you're not doing this. And these false teachers were putting all these burdens on these Colossian people. They were completely robbing them of their Christian liberty. And we can have that happen to us too, both sides. Either the, the charismatic side or the legalism side can kind of put all of those burdens on you. And some people really care what other people think about them. And so those burdens that people say, and people post this on Facebook, or they post this on Twitter, or they do this, or they say, well, that church doesn't do this, and this church doesn't do this, and, and they put all of these burdens. And some people are really affected by that. And some people, it really gets to them, and they're really controlled by every snarky word somebody says, every judgmental glance that they get, it really affects them. And they're influenced by influencers that are not there to encourage them to live a holy life, but to to have them live a life like they're living, right? So if I may ask you, who is your greatest influencer? When you look at your life, like, who is it? 
that is your greatest influencer, right? We live in a world of influencers, right? All these people on Instagram, they're called influencers and Twitter, and they, they get people to think certain ways and believe certain things, and they, they have their own quote-unquote gospels that they preach, whether it's climate change or whether it's whatever it is, you know, all of these things. Who is your greatest influencer? And I pray that it's Jesus Christ. I pray that it's his word. I pray that it's not all those voices out there, and some of which even are originating in churches. I pray that those are not the voices that are the biggest influence on your life. I pray that the word of God is the biggest influencer of your life. What Jesus said says is what matters, and not what some person on Twitter or Spotify or whatever that is says. You weigh everything that they say by their word, right, by his word. So don't, don't misunderstand this scripture as well, though, because some of us may have strong convictions in certain areas. God may call some of us to abstain from certain things that somebody else can partake in. And, and I have some great, great sermons that I could preach on that to go into a lot more detail that I don't have time today. But we all are going to be called to certain standards, certain things that we struggle with, certain things that we may be given into. Uh, so, so, so don't take that. But here's the thing. There's some really good arguments on some of those things, and some of those things could be maybe standardized more so. But there are certain things that are going to be personal to you. Like you might not be able to do this or do that because of a certain struggle that you have. You may not be able to go to a certain place because of a certain struggle that you have. The problem becomes when you take that personal conviction that God through his Holy Spirit reveals to you, and you call that prophecy for somebody else. Like all of a sudden, okay, it's not in the Bible, but, but the Spirit has revealed to you, you can't do that, so now you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you, because if I can't do it, then you can't do that, right? And that becomes legalism, right? And that becomes an issue, because now all of a sudden, we're being choked by the body, and each part of the body has their own things that the Spirit's revealing to them, and that they're convicted by, that they're struggling with, and if, if what you struggle with, and you struggle with, and you struggle with, we all start to cut off everything, well now, it just chokes us out. There is no Christian liberty. There is no love. There is no freedom. There is no joy, right? And it keeps the body from being dependent on the head. Now it's dependent on the body. And instead of being dependent on the word of God, it's dependent on the ideas of man. We become a man-centered, humanistic church instead of a God-centered, Christ-centered church, right? And so we need to watch that. And Jesus taught very harshly regarding legalism. So look at Matthew 23, 16 and 17. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if someone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound to his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that, that, that has made the gold sacred? Well, first off, Jesus is pretty tough. Like, that's a very direct statement. You blind fools. So first off, like, he doesn't like legalism. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's pretty clear in Scripture Jesus is not a fan of making up stuff especially whenever it goes against what the Word of God says to begin with. So here we go. If we look at, at Deuteronomy 23, 21, God has already said in the Old Testament, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So you make a vow, it doesn't matter what you make a vow toward. The, the issue is not the object in which you swear by. The object, the, the issue is your word. Like your yes be yes or your no be no, right? And so the these Pharisees had like have, have added to God's word and said, oh, well, you can swear by this, and you don't really have to keep it. But if you swear by this, you do, and they've, they've made these regulations that, frankly, are not only unbiblical, they're anti-biblical. They go against God's word. We see that a lot in churches today, right, where they'll make up rules and laws and things, and, and actually contrary to what God's word says, which is an issue. 
we move on to verse 17, let me reread it. These, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So now we're going to move in from, from the first part here to a works-based righteousness. And so now we're seeing there's a shadow of the things to come. So the substance here refers to Christ. So Christ is the substance. He's the Washington Monument, if we're kind of comparing our thing. And the shadow are the, the, the festivals and things of the Old Testament that pointed toward Christ. There's some great things to study. We're going to talk about two big ones today. And these are great to study, but if they become a form of righteousness that you're trying to earn, because I do this and I do this, and so that makes God love me more, that's the issue. And that's what Paul is preaching against here. So we're going to see here, the first is the Passover. There's some scriptures there where you see the Passover mentioned. So the Passover was a celebration of the escape from Egypt. So remember, Egypt has the Israelites in, in slavery. They're treating them very harshly. Moses is there to deliver them. Pharaoh ends up not taking it real well, and there's ten plagues that are placed upon Pharaoh because he refuses to let them go. And this tenth plague was the death of the firstborn throughout the whole land, right? It was a pretty, pretty bad plague. But God was gracious and merciful to Israel, and he told them, hey, I want you to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts above and beside. And when the angel of death comes to take the firstborn, your children will be fine. Your families will be fine. And that's what happened, right? And this was a wonderful, wonderful celebration to remember the deliverance from Egypt because Pharaoh at that point let them go. Obviously, we know he chased them and the Red Sea thing. You know, it, it, a, lot, a lot happens from there, but, but it's a great thing to kind of look at. But celebrating the Passover and doing a Seder meal doesn't make you more holy. doesn't make you more right with God. It, it's a great experience if you've ever done it that's Christocentric, where, where you talk about each part of the Seder meal and how each part uh, goes with Christ and points to Christ, I'm, it's perfectly fine. But if you celebrate the Passover as a religious festival to try to make you closer to God, to make you, quote-unquote, more religious, more righteous, well, that's wrong. Because Christ is the Passover lamb, right? He fulfilled the Passover. His blood was spilled and placed on us so that we may have our sins forgiven. An eternal death, not just the one-time death, but an eternal death would pass over us. He is the Passover lamb. And now the judgment of God that we deserve, right? The judgment that we deserve, we deserve hell. That passes over us because of what Christ did on the cross. With, by repenting of our sins and putting our faith in him, we now have not only just a single Passover like Israel had, not only a single deliverance, we have an eternal deliverance into heaven. How great is that? Number two, we have the Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur. Uh, so uh, if you look, the high priest, once a year, would go into the Holy of Holies. And before he went in there, he'd have to bathe himself. He'd have to put on a special linen because he had to cover his own sins, right? He had to sacrifice a bull for his own sins. So he's doing all this stuff and before he can even go into the Holy of Holies, which they could only go in that one time a year, and he would sprinkle blood on the altar, on the Ark of the Covenant there. And he would not only have to sacrifice for his own sins, he would sacrifice on, for the sins of the people. And there were two goats that would be brought forth. One was called the scapegoat. And it was one where the, he would put his hands on, on the top of it and, and would confess the rebellion of Israel, the sins of Israel, and he would let it go outside the camp. The other one would be sacrificed, and its blood would also be placed for the forgiveness of sins in the Holy of Holies. So, so this, this occurred year after year, and it was a great reminder of the sin of Israel. And, and, and it, was, it had to be done in order to, to forgive the unconfessed sins of Israel. 
And, but for us to do that today, it's, it's not really that helpful, right? Because we don't have to do this one thing, this religious festival, to make us right with God. Back then, they were trying to push these kind of things into this Colossian church, saying you need to do the Passover. Uh, you need to do the Day of Atonement. You know, your sins aren't really covered because you haven't done Yom Kippur, right? Or Yom, Yom Kippur, depending on where you're, <laughs> where you're from. So, but we have a high priest that didn't have to make a sacrifice for his sins because he was sinless. So we have a high priest who suffered outside of the camp like the scapegoat did, right? He suffered outside of the camp. He suffered at the hands of the Roman guards and the Roman government. And we also have a, a high priest to sacrifice like the other lamb that was sacrificed and slaughtered for the sins of the people. So we don't have to do this day of atonement. We don't have to every year say, okay, we're all going to gather together and we're going to sacrifice an animal. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We don't have to either that or something else. We need to once a year meet and do something different and make up something with a religious festival because Jesus said it was finished, right? John, John 19, 30, as we all know, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His sacrifice was done once for all, and he said it was finished. So brothers and sisters, I pray that we never worship the shadow over the substance, that we never worship uh, the, some, something else other than Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament, studying it is a great idea, and I really recommend doing it. But we need to study, as we study the festivals, as we study the Passover, the Day of Atonement, may we study them Christocentrically. May it all point to Christ, not point to us, and that we need to do this, and oh, we need to check these boxes in order to become a better Christian or a better person. I pray that Christ is the center of everything that we do, that he is the head of all. Anything that usurps his authority must be cast aside, whether it's a religious activity or it's man's ideas, uh, whether it's a festival that we want to, to, to celebrate, to move forward to, or it's what our church has become about. If certain churches that, well, that's the church that does that, right? That's the church that does this. We, we don't want to be the church that does this or does that. We want to be a church that's all about Jesus Christ. We don't want to be the church that, that leaves the building once a, once a month to do something. We don't want to be the church, and I'm not saying those things are wrong, but we, want, we don't want to be known as a church that does one thing or this thing or that. We want to be known as a church that loves Jesus Christ, that tells people about Jesus Christ, that exalts Jesus Christ, that makes disciples and that disciples others. Those other things are great, and we should be doing other things. We should be serving missionally. We, we should be giving to, to the homeless. We should be helping others. Those are great things. Those are good things. But they're not the surpassing thing. Uh, the sh those are shadows. The Savior is the substance. That needs to be what we're all about. And everything that we do, all of those shadows should be coming from the Savior. When we give to mission things, it's because Christ gave to us. Right? When we go out and we serve, it's because Christ served us. When, when we do everything, it's because of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we never trade the substance for the shadow. And I pray that we never exalt the shadow over the Savior, that we always be a church that is Christocentric. Number two, the Savior surpasses the serpents. Sounds pretty logical, right? And serpents being here, the false teachers, Satan and his demons as well. Let me read again for us. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. 
right? Let no one disqualify you. This word here means to rob of a prize, right? So, so to be disqualified means you're out. You're out of the race. We've talked about that. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we talked about unqualified and disqualified. All right, being unqualified is we're not worthy, but being disqualified is we're, we're out. So these false teachers are trying to disqualify people from heaven. That doesn't mean that they're trying to get people to lose their salvation. It means they're trying to keep people from getting salvation in the first place. Uh, what they're doing is they're pointing at the shadows and ignoring the Savior, saying, oh, just do these things, do this, do this, do this. And they're keeping people from hearing the true gospel, right? And I pray that we never become that church, that, that we start pointing to all these shadows and, oh, social gospel. We need people to do this, 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 and, and we need people to do this, 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 and missions, and we need to do this. Instead of the, the Savior, instead of being Christocentric, those other things are good, but they're not good unless they're in a Christocentric view of the world. We have to be focused on Christ. Everything has to come back to him. Don't let false teachers or people who are, are human-centric keep you from worshiping, or keep you from worshiping the Savior. D- don't let them kind of push you toward works-based salvation and false gods that way, right? Whether it's cultural, whatever it is. They may claim visions and higher views of things, yet they are deceivers. They are puffed up, power-hungry, and bent on rebellion, the scripture says here. Then Paul goes on to say that these these deceivers use a couple of different ways, actually four different ways that they use to try to keep you and disqualify you from understanding the true gospel. Number one is asceticism. This refers to false humility. It is a superficial humility that is not genuine. If you watch anything on C-SPAN, you will see this played out very frequently. A a false humility, a, oh, you know, we're so worried about this, 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 when in all honesty, they're worried about getting reelected. You know, uh, it, this false humility, oh, woe is me, and it's like, oh, you know, and they put themselves down and this kind of thing. It's pretending to be humble, and we see this throughout our culture. We see it a lot of times at press conferences when these guys give these apologies for their, what they did wrong, and you just watch it, and you're like, dude, that guy has no idea. He, this is garbage. Like, there, he is not really meaning his apology. If you have any discernment at all, you can just see right through it you know, he hasn't had any come-to-Jesus moment. Like, he hasn't repented of what he did. He's trying to, to show asceticism. He, he's humble or she's humble and, and that kind of thing, right? Christ doesn't honor false humility. He only honors true humility. And true humility only comes through Christ. So unless we are in Christ, we are a new creation, we can't even be humble anyway. It's all asceticism. It's all false humility unless you're a believer. Number two, worship of angels. And so the way they use this asceticism, this false humility, they, they catapulted off that to the worship of angels. And what they would say is, woe is me, I'm not worthy to be able to pray to God, right? I'm not worthy to be able to, to lift my prayers up to Jesus, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through angels, right? I'm going to pray to angels, and they're going to tell God what I've said, right? We see that today. I'm going to pray to Mary, and she can tell Jesus what I said because that's his mommy, and I'm sure he's got some kind of relationship with her, and she can maybe get me in with a Savior, right? Or I'm going to pray to these saints. You know, Mother Teresa, maybe she can help me out. Maybe this priest can help me out, right? So I'm not worthy. And so it looks like it's this great humility, right? I'm not worthy, but what are you starting all those sentences off with? I, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm, it, dude, it's all about you, and it's all about your, like, how bad you are, right? But then the focus isn't on Christ. It's on man. 
It's on themselves, and they're disobeying Christ because clearly there's only one mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 clears this up for us very quickly. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between who? God and the man, Christ Jesus. All right, could Paul make it any more clear? I, you know, is there anything here that just leaves room for, okay, it's okay to pray to Mary? Not at all. Is, is, is there anything here that says, oh, sure, you can pray to angels, that's fine, right? There is zero room here, no wiggle room. There is only one way we can pray to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. There is no other way we can approach God, and that is why there is only one way to God through salvation in Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way here, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way to God. He is the only mediator between God and men. And the reason is, God would kill you without Jesus Christ. He would crush you. He hates sin. And we are all sinners. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ covering our lives, we're annihilated. We, we actually, we wish we were annihilated. We're throwing to hell. So we would live forever in torment. But that... God hates sin, so the only way we can be saved is by the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way God's going to hear anything that we pray is through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. How wonderful is he for doing that, though? We are sinners. We do deserve hell. We deserve judgment, and yet he desires a relationship with us through Jesus Christ, through our mediator, who is a, gr a lot greater high priest, right? He didn't have, to, didn't have to sacrifice anything for himself because he was already perfect, and he gave himself up for us so that we may have a relationship with him. We may be forgiven. There's two more here if you look at verse 18. Visions and puffed up with a sensuous mind. So there's two other ways that they went about trying to get these people disqualified, to try to keep them from the true gospel. And, you know, I think we've mentioned this a little bit already. But I think the charismatic movement is extremely dangerous today. I, I think there's a great part of experiencing God. I think there's a great part of the Holy Spirit directing us and guiding us. So I don't discount that at all. I think sometimes in our conservative churches, we're so scared of the Holy Spirit that we act like he doesn't exist. But he is God as well, right? God is three persons. You know, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't ignore the Holy Spirit. We don't throw him out of our church. He is a part of our church. He is who indwells us. If we are a believer, we better have him in us, right? And so the Holy Spirit is great, and so don't miss the fact that the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit directs, the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit reveals and illuminates the Word of God to us. But what the Holy Spirit doesn't do is contradict his Word, right? He does not contradict the Word of God. He doesn't say anything that is er erroneous, but the charismatic movement now has pushed so hard against the Word of God, and it's pushed so far into mysticism and so far into experientialism that it's missing the mark. It's just going off the guardrails, and it's so, so sad. And, and what you see is these, these men and women stand up there, and they talk about these visions that they've had, and, and what they do is they're puffed up. Well, I have arrived. I have the gift of healing. I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of whatever it is. And people come, and you know what they do? They worship those men and women. Instead of worshiping the God who created those men and women, or the, the God who died on the cross for their sins, they worship these men and women like Benny Hinn. People like that, they flock to them, millions of people, especially in places like India, places that are impoverished. And these, these men and women take advantage of these people. 
and they take their money, and, and these people just fall on their faces in idol idolatrous worship of them, and they say, oh, okay, I am puffed up with knowledge with a sensuous mind. They have, I, I have these visions, and they don't come out saying that, but they come out saying, you know, you haven't figured this out, but I have. Watch any pastor, any teacher, any person that comes with something that has been revealed to them and nobody else. Okay, God has given this to me, and you know, Randy, sorry, you're out. God didn't tell you. Kevin, no, no, Jim, no. It's just me. I have arrived, and I'm such a big deal that I'm going to tell you what you all should do. And this is the way to God, and this is what that is. Sin is what that is. It's false teaching. It's corruption. And frankly, those who continue in that will be in hell. Because that we, we are not to speak a false word. Anything that I say up here better be the word of God. My, my job is not to say this is what I think. You know, I'm not perfect, and there are going to be things that I say that are maybe I didn't get right. And I, I, I pray that you forgive me. I pray that you come and talk to me about it. I'm a man. I'm going to miss things. But my goal is to stay as close to this as what it says as possible. And if I ever come with something that is just revolutionary that you've never heard before, you probably shouldn't listen to it because it's probably not true. If you've never read it, it's not in the Bible, and you, you probably ought to just let that one go. And, and if you hear anybody else say something like that, you probably ought to let it go. Because here's the thing. I don't doubt that these men and women, many of them have experienced visions. And I don't doubt that many of these men and women are very convinced in their hearts that they are right and that this, that this mind that they've been given, these visions are, are correct. But here's the thing. First John 4, 1, we preached on this, taught through this uh, last year. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into this world, and we can extrapolate that. Many false prophets continue to go out into this world. And there are many people out there that are fully convinced that what they're saying is right and that those who disagree with them are so wrong and they're so blinded by the visions and they're so puffed up by their pride because of their experience that they've had. But how do we remain a church exactly opposite to that? How do we remain a church that is qualified and not a disqualified church? And how can we remain a church that doesn't disqualify others, that doesn't say, oh, Ignore that cross part. You know, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna show you how you can be saved. This is what you can do in order to be saved. How can we keep from trying to inadvertently lock others out and instead bring them to Christ? Let's see what Paul says in verse 19 here. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. These false teachers were, were failing to do something very, very important. They were failing to hold fast to Christ. They were failing to hold fast to the head. And we've talked about this a few weeks ago, right? We all need to be attached to the head. We are the body of Christ. The head is what directs the body of Christ. And the body only works in unison when the head of Christ, as Christ is in charge. He keeps us united together and nourishes us with his power. We see how important the head is with mental health, right? When, when somebody struggles with anxiety and depression, what happens? Somatic complaints. Those are physical symptoms, right? People start to feel bad. Their whole body starts to feel bad, right, when, they, when they're struggling with mental health. When something is right with the head, the body suffers. In the same way, if your head is something other than Jesus Christ, if your head is finances, it's money, it's someone, 
If, you're, if your head is anything other than Jesus Christ, you will suffer from malnutrition and growth deficiency. Your, your spiritual life will struggle and suffer. And frankly, you won't be in Christ. If you want to be disqualified, don't have Christ as your head. Because that means you're not really qualified. Christ has to be our head. And he is a wonderful head, my friends. He is a wonderful leader for us. He keeps us united as believers, and he keeps us healthy, growing individually. We are nourished by his Holy Spirit that we've spoken about before, who helps us have a growth that is what? A growth that is from God. any, Any growth that we have spiritually needs to come from God, not from someone else. They can help us, but, and they can, they can direct us to the scripture that my job isn't to make you grow, God's going to make you grow. My, God, my, my, my job is to point you to the one who can give you growth. And that is why that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Even though I'm the one up here preparing and preaching, my job's really not to do anything but just present the, the Bible. My job's really not to do anything other than preach what God has revealed to me and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you and illuminate the scripture as we talk through and to try to illustrate it, to make it real and to try to encourage you to show you that, hey, this is a big deal. You need to be in this. Like, that's my job. My job is to stimulate you all to action of picking that thing up and reading it when I'm not around. My job is to show you that it's relevant, uh, that, it, that it's life-changing, that, that, that it's sustaining, that it's what you need more than anything else, more than breakfast or lunch or dinner or water, that it is the bread of life, that Jesus is the bread of life, and he's given us our daily bread here that we can have every day. And friends, remember that the Savior always surpasses the serpents. The serpents never take the word of a serpent over the Savior. And last, the Savior surpasses sacrifice. This isn't his sacrifice, but he surpasses your sacrifice. Let's take a look at verses 20 and moving forward to 23 here. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These final few verses here, they, they, they really explain what's already been taught. So we're not going to stay here for a long, long time, but Paul pretty much flushes out why it's so important to avoid those first things. Because all these things that that promise you certain things, that promise you they're going to deliver you, that are going to help you, and all of these burdens that the world tries to put on you, that false teachers try to put on you, that legalism puts on you, the charismatic movements points on you, puts all these things they look like they're really good. They look like that they're going to they're, they're gonna lead you to a righteous life. They're going to help you live what you need to. But they have no, no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. They have no, problem to for, no power to change you or to forgive you. Paul asks them, if you died to sin, you died to your works-based righteousness, and you were raised with Christ, why would you keep living like you weren't, you weren't born again in the first place? It's kind of like this. It's like being set free out of that jail cell, that prison, and just going back and sitting in just to hang out, right? You've been set free from the bonds of sin. You've been set free from your works-based righteousness that you, that you thought you needed to do this, 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 this. Why would you go back to that, right? 
these regulations and demands of asceticism, they, they appear to make one holy, right? They seem to make somebody righteous on the outside. Look what I've done. Look at how good I am. Jesus said, what to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones, right? That is what works do for us. They don't do anything. They cover the outside, but the inside is still just as bad as it was. So don't misunderstand Paul here. Some people are called to live a more humble life. Some people are called to do hard things. Zavi and Jasmine, who we support as missionaries, they're in a really rough area, and they have to live a much more humble life than we do here or that, that they could live here, right? But do you, does that make them more righteous than us? No. No, our, our obedience to God does not make us more righteous. You may be called to avoid a certain food or a certain drink, but that doesn't make you more righteous than anybody else. You may be called to sell your house and move into a smaller one. That doesn't make you more righteous than anyone else. He may call you to quit your job which you, and make less money working a different job. But that doesn't make you more righteous than someone else. Righteousness is from Christ. It's obedience to Christ. It's what he calls you to do, not what he calls me to do. Our job, obviously, there are certain things in Scripture that are righteous and are unrighteous. And it's very clear. But there are certain things that God will call you to do that he's not going to call your brother to do. Right? We see Peter. What happens when, when Peter, and Peter and John are there and Jesus is talking and, and Jesus is telling Peter, this is how you're going to suffer, right? You're, this is going to be bad. Uh, and he's like, well, what about him? What about John? Don't worry about John, right? That's what Jesus' response is. You worry about Peter and I'll worry about John, right? And so a lot of times we can catch ourselves there too where we all of a sudden may have some self-righteousness that comes up because we're obeying this and they're not. God called me to do this, but... You know, why didn't Randy have to do what I did? You know, or why didn't Lauren have to do what I did? You know, and we start to compare ourselves. And it's like, no, your relationship with God is between you and God. And he's going to call one person to do something maybe in a different area. Maybe it's a few years down the road and you just don't know what's coming up for that guy, right? Or that gal. Our job is to obey Christ personally. Our relationship with Christ is not based on what somebody else is doing. Our relationship with Christ is based on ourselves. We should not obey God in order to to earn favor or righteousness. This is a lie anyway, right? We should obey God because we love him. We should obey God because we love him. And why do we love him? Because of he first loved us, right? He died on the cross for our sins. He gave everything for us. So we mentioned last week, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we show God our love? By obeying him. Let that sink in. If we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? If we are not obeying him, it's showing that we're not, if we're not obeying him, we're, we're not loving him. My friends, Christ surpasses all sacrifice. So anything that you think that you need to do that's above what he's called you to do, throw it off. That will not earn you more righteousness, just trying to live a life of asceticism, of false humility. Oh, I'm going to live simple. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this up. I'm going to do this. If God hasn't called you to do it, don't do it. Like, that's not, you need to follow God. He may, he may be having you in a certain place because he's going to have you give it up later. That might, but maybe now is not the time. Maybe God's going to have you move a different time, but now is not the time. You need to walk in step with the Spirit through the Word of God and directing he is bigger. He surpasses all of your sacrifices. He will call you at times to sacrifice certain things, and you need to obey in those things. But don't try to earn favor with God through your religious activity. Live in the freedom and liberty given to you by Christ. Enjoy him and obey him out of love and not obligation. 
when we live that relationship with God, when we walk in step with the Spirit, when we, when we do those sacrificial things, when He calls us to, He gives us the grace to do them, and it increases our love for Him. When we do things that He hasn't called us to, that we're not really trying to figure out where we're going, well, that becomes a workspace thing, and sometimes we start to have animosity, like, well, God, I did this, 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 this. Why, what are you doing for me? Right? We do this, have this transactional, like we talked about that before, this transactional moment. So we need to make sure when we do something, it's not to earn favor with God. He doesn't work that way. Nothing you do earns favor with God. Live in his freedom. See him for how beautiful and wonderful he is. As we come to a, conclu- a close here, I want, to spend, I want us to spend some time this week loving God, loving the Savior, spending time reflecting on what he's done for us, living in that Christian liberty and freedom, living in that relationship with him, seeing him as surpassing anything that we can do, seeing him as surpassing any ideas man has, seeing him, seeing him as surpassing any of the law or Old Testament there, that he is above all. Think on his cross. Think on salvation that he died on the cross, that, that if we repent and put our faith and trust in him, that we have eternal life with him forever in heaven. We didn't deserve that. Think of the creation, just the beauty of creation, the beautiful weather coming this week. We need to praise him for that. Just spend some time loving God, loving Christ, seeing him as surpassing everything in your life. Thank him for your car. Thank him for your home. Thank him for heat or air conditioning, whatever day it is. You know, Spend some time just looking at how great he is and how he surpasses all other things. And think of the relationship that he desires with you, despite us being unworthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you surpass everything. We know this, but sometimes we don't live like it. So God, I just pray that you help us to, to re- recenter our lives and our minds around the fact that you are our surpassing Savior. God, Help all those things that seem to take our attention away from you. All those things, whether it's legalism, whether it's experience, whether it's uh, desire for things, whether it's relationships that are strong, all those things that, that can keep our mind off of you. Uh, help us to cast those things aside and to not miss how wonderful and beautiful that you are, God. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. If anyone here doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, I'd love to explain salvation further to them. They can talk to me afterwards. If anybody hasn't been baptized, uh, Lord, I'd love to, to dunk them. That'd be, that'd be a great thing. So they, I'd love to talk to them about that, following that first step of obedience after becoming a believer. Lord, help us go throughout this week, walking a step with you and following uh, and obeying you throughout everything. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. Have a blessed week.